Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Well, good morning. If you missed last week, we started a new series on transforming grace in the book of 2 Peter. So I invite you to go ahead and open your Bibles to 2 Peter. I will be in chapter 1, finishing up verses 12 through 21. Uh, If you don't own a Bible or you don't have one with you, we do have physical copies always in the front room on the connect table, so feel free to grab one, um, take it with you. Like I said, if you don't own one, or feel free to have the app on your phone. I'll trust you're not on Facebook, but actually looking at God's Word. Let me pray and ask God to uh, be with us and engage with us this morning through the Scripture. God, we come to you once again. We want to settle our hearts, settle our minds. God, we thank you for who you are. God, you are holy and worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. May we be reminded of that yet again. God, I pray that collectively, whether we're here physically in person, whether we're listening and online, God, whether this is later in the week or months down the road, and someone's some of our podcasts, God, that they come with holy expectancy that you will show up and that you will actually speak to us through your word as a living God. It's a living God. It's, it's true beyond anything else in our lives. So God, we, we come now with holy expectancy that you're going to speak to us, that you're going to engage with us through your word. What a privilege and honor that is. To your name, amen. In his book, Finishing Strong, Steve Farrar tells a story of a conversation that a young man had with his future father-in-law. His future father-in-law was named Dr. John Beck, and he was an experienced minister. He'd been in ministry for many, many years. And he shared some lessons that he learned over the years with this uh, would-to-be minister. And I can, I can imagine I've been in many of these conversations myself over the years, whether it was with my grandfather or an uncle or just someone who was more seasoned in ministry. And he told the young man, he said, in his experience, just about one out of every ten person who starts out in full-time vocational service for the Lord at the age of 21 will still be in active full-time service by the age of 65. Now, I would actually argue it's probably going down much lower, but this is when he was uh, writing at this time. While this was shocking to the young man, he went home and he wrote down the names of 24 peers who were also studying and had a calling to full-time service uh, for the Lord in the full-time ministry. He later related, by the time he reached the age of 53, so about 12 years shy of what his father-in-law had told him, there were only a handful of names that were left on that list. What a sobering reality. The Apostle Peter wants us to finish strong our walk with the Lord. I think, I think anyone who, who makes a profession of faith, we've talked about this, you guys hear me refer to this a lot, as that emotional high or that camp high, that roller coaster high. It's really easy for most of us to start our faith really high, on fire for the Lord. But it's really challenging and difficult to get from that to, to where we finish. And so Peter wants us to finish strong. Which is why he starts this section by reminding us of the reality of life lived by the gospel. He just showed us in the previous verses. If you missed last week, even if you were here, 
Um, I know it was a lot. It was a lot of content. It was a little heady, okay? I'm self-aware enough to know that it was a long message. And so I encourage you to go back and listen. Um, and listen slowly at what Peter was actually pointing us to. These characteristics of us working out our faith and what should be evident in the lives of those who follow Jesus. And so he's already told us those items. And he's saying now we live this out. And he wants to remind us. And he's reminding us with this sense of urgency. Almost as if he's running out of time. Well, here's why. He is actually running out of time. He tells us that. The Holy Spirit has revealed to him, you were towards the end of your days. You're towards the end of your life. And so he has this urgency knowing, like, time is short. Time is of the essence. I will not be here much longer physically in person. So I want to make sure I do everything I can to help out the church, to help out these Christians. And Peter wants to remind the church of the message of the gospel and of Christ's second coming. He's going back to the basics. He's going back to the things that you would say, well, no, we, we know that, Peter. We, we get that. Give us something that's higher level, something deeper. But he is reminding them of these, of these things as a warning. Because what's happened is there's a group of false teachers. There's a group of false prophets who have made their way into the midst of the church. And they are starting to question all of the teachings and their reliability. And so they're starting to put kind of questions and doubts in people's minds. Where they were so confident they were so steadfast. They were standing firm prior. Now they come in and say, well, what about this? Have you ever looked at this angle? Have you ever realized that this Hebrew word can be translated this way and this way? And it's the same thing that we see happening still today. But Peter says, hey, look, these people are coming in. So I want to give you a warning by taking you back to the basics to be reminded of the truth and the reliability of Scripture and that Christ is coming back again. And so Peter's reminding them and us to keep the gospel central to everything that we do. So the main idea in our message today, if you're taking notes, it's a reminder to pursue godliness with all of our lives and a reminder of the second coming of Christ. So here we find Peter at the end of his life. He's not just going and spending his days on the beach. He's not just taking his days and just staring at the, the beautiful landscape around him. Instead, he is stressing for Christians to know and to remember to pursue godliness and to have hope. Right? He's writing to people who are going through a hard time. Remember back to our letter in 1 Peter. And he wants to remind us to have hope because Christ will return. You may be going through it right now, but remember Christ is returning. He will return. So hold on to this truth. Hold on to that truth and live by the gospel in the in-between. And so point number one this morning is a reminder to pursue godliness. Comes to us in verses 12 through 15. Peter says, verse 12, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities. What qualities? Those virtues we looked at in verses 5 through 10. So once again, go back and revisit that list. And he says, Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, in other words, Peter's saying, you all know the truth. He says, I'm not teaching you anything new. Now, you might feel that way some weekends here at Sojourn. You might think, like, Matt, you've already told us this, or I already know this. But Peter also knows, and I would say that I also know, uh, from experience, how it is easy to be established and know something one day, and you're not wavering at all in that truth, and then the next day you find yourself suddenly drifting. 
Okay? It's like if you've ever, you know, you go out to the ocean, right? I know we don't really do that in the Pacific Coast, but if you ever go to the East Coast, you're out in the Atlantic Ocean, and you're just like, okay, it's kind of a calm day. I'm just sitting here, and you can see your umbrella, and you see your chair, and the sand toys, and everything. And if you're not paying attention too long, all of a sudden you find yourself, and you're like, okay, that's not my intent, that's someone else's family. And then you find yourself, and then you find, and you just continue to drift, right? And you can't get planted firm enough. He's saying that is what happens when these false prophets and these false teachers come in. They introduce these new concepts, and they might sound kind of similar. And you think, man, that's really, I've never heard that before. They might introduce this new doctrine, this new theology, and they ignore the ones that are already in Scripture. And so I would say this, especially at this point in history, if you hear something that's, that's brand new, revolutionary, that's one thing that like, like God enlightens you, and you're like, oh, I didn't understand this Scripture. But you're hearing something brand new that's, that's not in God's Word at all, I would run away from that. At least run to me, to those in the church saying, this, I've never heard of this. What is this? Because it's likely that it's contrary to God's work if it's some new revelation you teach him. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's Peter's perhaps the best person to remind us of this. He's perhaps the best person to give us this, this caution and this warning. Well, why, why is Peter, why does, he, why does he have that status? The dude denied Jesus three times. Like, of, of all people. Like, I don't know, I don't doubt any of us have ever done that, at least the way that he did. He denied Jesus three times. So he said, guys, been there, done that. I, and and I, I told Jesus, there's no way I'd ever do it. And he told me I would, and I ended up doing it three times. And so he's saying, look, I can speak from experience to you. What drifting looks like. I want to help keep you grounded and centered in the faith. He continues in verses 13 and 14. He says, I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Once again, Peter is aware that he's towards the end of his life. Interestingly, uh, the ESV doesn't use this, but uh, the CSB does. And when you look at the original meaning of, of the Greek word, it actually uses the same word for tent. So we almost get this imagery. If you've been camping, it's pretty easy, right? Like it's a temporary place that you're going to stay. And you go for the weekend up to the mountains, you have fun, and then you, know, you take the tarp and you kind of stuff it all into a sack. That's the same word uh, and imagery he uses for his life. That's temporary, and he's going to fold it up, and it'll be of no, no good anymore soon. And so Peter wants to make the best use of the time that he has left on this earth. To do what? To stir us up. The majority of us need to be stirred in the morning. I would, I, would, I would probably not too far fetched it this morning, right? It's Sunday morning, and you're like, I don't have to go to work today, so I don't have to have my alarm at 6, but you have it a little bit later, and then you think, you know, sojourn doesn't start till 10, so that seems far away, but then when 9 o'clock rolls around, it seems like that's really, really soon, right? We need to be stirred. So if you're like me, first thing in the morning to get stirred is I go and I make my coffee, and I make it really strong. It stirs me. Even that sip right there, like it's, it kind of jolts me a little bit. Right? I need to be stirred to wake up in the morning to remember that I'm, I'm human, that I'm not in a dream, 
And sometimes, if we're completely honest, we don't feel like Christians when we wake up. Maybe it's just me. You wake up and you're like, I don't feel like reading the Bible. I don't feel like praying. I don't really feel like reflecting on the goodness of God. Sometimes you just wake up on like the wrong side of the bed. There's a reason there's a saying for that. Which is why we need to be stirred up. What Peter is doing here is he's stirring the heart. Well, why would he stir the heart? Because if you start to drift in your heart, right, you kind of follow your heart into things, right? That's how we fall in love. Right? We follow our heart. Our heart sees something that it wants, sees somebody that it wants, sees somebody that it's attracted to. But our heart starts to drift, and then you start to slowly question. Then you start to slowly doubt. Then you start to, now, 2022, deconstruct. If you allow your heart to drift too far, you start to drift in your theology, which you were so grounded in at one point. I'm not saying there's never a time you know what, I was wrong on that, and we reevaluate. But you start to make drastic, drastic turns. And then you, then you drift in your doctrine. And then sometimes, I've seen this happen, it leads to a drift that's a complete denial of Jesus and his gospel. You kind of go, we can't really trust this. Or maybe you'll still want to attach Jesus when, he, when he's convenient to you. And you completely drift because your heart has drifted away. And so Peter's trying to stir us up to say, let's get back to the center. Let's get back to the basics. Seen this too many times in count. That person is following Jesus. Like, that, that is the top priority of their life. I want to follow Jesus. I want to give God glory. Until that person they're interested in because they're single in this, this scenario, starts to show them interest. Only one problem. That person they're interested in doesn't love Jesus, doesn't love the church. In fact, they're pretty set against it. And so this person who was all about Jesus and his glory suddenly starts to change. They so, so, suddenly they stop attending church. And suddenly they stop reading the Bible. Suddenly they find themselves no longer identifying with any of it because their heart has drifted towards this individual. Students, every year, we don't have any that are this age yet, they graduate high school and they go off to college. All right? And it's, it's kind of college for most of us. Like it was, I had a great experience in college. I'm glad that I, that I went. But we find this freedom to suddenly explore. You know, depending on how you grew up and your household and all those things. And, and so you suddenly find the freedom to explore other options. You sleep in. You quit attending church. And eventually you let go of your once held beliefs altogether because your heart is no longer in it. Now your heart would rather sleep in, or you'd rather go to brunch, or you, in my case, you live near the beach, so you'd rather go to the beach on, on when the church is gathering. Or this one, this is the one I've seen most recent in the last uh, five years as I've lived here. That person moves to Portland, and there they are, are a strong <laughs> Christian back home, wherever back home happens to be. And then it seems like they drift, and suddenly they completely change their lifestyle, and they even look as if they're leaving the faith. The way your heart goes, so goes the person. And Peter knows, if you love Jesus wholeheartedly, with all of your heart, it will change everything about you. And so what Peter wants to do, he wants to stir our hearts. If they've forgotten, if they've drifted, he wants to, you know, kind of, I think about this idea of stirring, right? I mean, you shouldn't necessarily do this, but um, you know, you grab someone who, who's, who's not doing what I'm supposed to do, and you're like, hey, wake up. Wake up. What are you talking about? What are you doing? Right? I saw uh, yesterday I was watching a soccer game, and 
I mean, I think it was fine. The, the coach of the other team, he, he like grabbed one of his players and kind of like pushed him aside. But it was almost like, hey, you know you're supposed to be doing this, but you're not, you're not, you're not chasing the ball. You're not doing it. You're just kind of standing there. He wants to stir. So people say, I want to stir you back to godliness. I want to remind you of these things. But it's not only Peter. We are all called to stir one another up to pursue godliness. In other words, you get a part in this. Peter wrote this letter that we continue to have, but you and I also get to do this. That's what we do when we gather. That's why I argue you need to be here. It's not about just a Sunday ritual and all. It's, it's church. Like This is not church. This is a part of church. Okay, that's another message for another day. The New Testament says, and they gather. But one reason I argue you need to be here is we need to stir one another up. Some weeks it's you coming in, but some weeks it's me coming in. Just because I'm standing up here doesn't mean I don't need to be stirred up. That you don't have something to offer me. Maybe I've had a really hard week. Maybe I've had forgetfulness and doubts. And then I need to be stirred up. My messages up here are intended just to be informational and inspirational. I hope they are that, but they're crafted to stir you up. They're crafted to, to wake us up to go like, oh God, it's right there in your word, plain. In our gospel community, we collectively stir one another up. Happens to be Wednesday, midway through the week, hump day, right? We left Sunday, and we hopefully leave here going, man, I got stirred up, I'm reminded, okay, I'm good, and you hit a wall. Right? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you hit this wall. And it's likely that we've had forgotten or we've fallen short of the gospel and since Sunday we need to be reminded of it yet again. So Wednesday rolls around it's like, remember these things. Remember this. He says in verse 15, I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. So Peter wants to make every effort to stir us up so that we can recall and remember. Recall and remember what? This is these things. What's, what's he referring to? He's referring to the letter we're studying right now, 2 Peter. Remember, he's presently writing this letter as he writes it. We now have it. And so he's saying, I want to remind you of these things. And he wants to make every effort to communicate to us. So he wants the people of God, and includes Sojourn Church, to remember the grace of Jesus, the promises of Jesus, and the call we've been given to pursue godliness. So I want you to remember these things. I want you to recall these things in your mind that this is what you are to do. Because it's all too often for us to experience what I call spiritual amnesia. We're entirely forget. We forget who we are in Christ, right? I mean, I think we have an identity crisis with our generation. We forget, though, in the church, who we are in Christ. We forget the Word, and what happens? We stop having a fear and reverence of God. Suddenly, we stop taking sin seriously. Well, the Bible says that, but, man, it's 2022, and, you know, I really want to do this. Or, or like, I want to love these people, and they'll think I don't love them if I'm actually telling them what Scripture says about this. So we stop taking sin seriously. We start living the way of the world, and like the world... And if we're not careful, we drift and we fall away from the faith. Now, we have an advantage that Peter didn't have. Anyone know what that advantage is? We have the Holy Word of God. The entirety of Scripture. Peter had the Old Testament. And he's like, 
I mean, I'm writing two of these letters. I get to be included in the New Testament, which I don't think he actually knew. We have the entirety of God's Word that we can, that we can stand on. We have the completed, finished product, which is the primary way that we are enabled to remember God's grace in our lives. Was that a way, again, this is the primary way, God's Word, which is why I encourage you to open it, that we are enabled to remember God's grace in our lives. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We have to read it. We have to cherish it. We have to love it. We have to abide in it. Another primary way that Jesus gave us to remember him and his grace that, he, that we would never forget is the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table, which we happen to be celebrating this morning as you saw when we walked in. Now, a lot of older and more traditional churches um, and if God ever blesses us with a building and they have one, I actually think I might leave it. Younger Matt would have been like, we're getting rid of that, but I actually think I might leave it. They have this big table, normally in the front here, that says, do this in remembrance of me. We're reminded. That's what, that's what the table is. That's what, when we take the Lord's Supper, when we take communion. And so if you've ever wondered, why do we do communion as often as we do? which we used to do weekly, now we do it monthly, and I think we're going to get back to weekly soon. It's because we need the reminder. It's because we need to remember what that represents. We need to remember that in Christ, our sins are actually forgiven. We need to remember that in Christ, we have everything we need for life and godliness. The things that we're called to pursue here that we looked at last week, like it's only in Christ and through His Spirit we've already been given those things. And we need to remember that we have a Savior who is alive and returning to get us soon. Amen? Amen. So Peter reminds us first to pursue godliness. Which leads me to our second point this morning. A reminder about the truth of Christ's return. In this section, Peter's actually going to remind us about the, the truth of Christ's return based on two things. And, and the first thing is an eyewitness testimony. The second thing is Old Testament scriptures. But we're, we're going to camp out uh, right here on the eyewitness testimony, verses 16 through 18. For we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, false teachers and prophets had come in, and what they were accusing these Christians of doing was following a myth. We still experience that today. And, you know, I'd say in our cities, by a lot of people believe that we follow a myth. Like, essentially, us believing in Jesus, believing in his life, death, and resurrection, following his word, is equivalent of believing that Bigfoot is real or that unicorns actually exist. That's what our culture would think. Or a commonly held argument is that all religions and paths are the same. It's okay, you found Christianity in Jesus. Well, I've got this over here. But one of the unique aspects of the Christian faith is this. It is based on actual, verifiable, historical events that took place. That's the unique aspect of our faith. History actually points to this reality. We can verify these things. And so Christianity is anchored throughout human History, And so Peter tells us, he said, it was made known to us through the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, he's going to point to the second coming, but he's not implying that the second coming is based on eyewitness testimony. Well, why not? Because it hasn't happened yet. And so how could he, how could he base that? It's not possible. But what he's actually referring to here is something that has already taken place in the transfiguration of Christ. Um, that passage that, that Ben read first at the beginning, 2 Corinthians 3, 12-18, that's what that's pointing to, is the transfiguration of Christ, which is a preview is, is what, of what is to come in the second coming of Christ. Now, if you're not familiar with the transfiguration of Christ, if that's new to you, what, what is that exactly? It's about halfway through the Gospel accounts. You can look up Mark 9, Matthew 17, Luke 9. This is where Jesus takes Peter, so we want to write this letter, Peter, James, and John, up to this mountain, and there was Moses and Elijah, the two who represent the law and the prophets. And what took place is the veil of Jesus' glory was lifted in the incarnation at the transfiguration, and it was lifted, so they got a glimpse of his full glory, which few got to do. And it left them grasping for words to articulate what they were witnessing. You ever witness something? You're like, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. Like, you can imagine, like, they're, they're getting a glimpse of the full glory of Jesus. And so then they have trouble articulating what that actually was like. And Peter's saying confidently that we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Of his majesty, which gave us a glimpse and a preview of what is to come. I'd say how we long for that glorious day. When the pains of this world are gone, when the suffering is no more, when we when we are standing in his majestic glory and laying at the feet of Jesus. And the day that Jesus returns and the kingdom of God is consummated, as the dead rise and judgment takes place, all of which these false prophets and teachers were denying. They were saying, this isn't true. This isn't going to happen. This isn't going to take place. And so his first proof about the reminder of Christ's return is the eyewitness account of the transfiguration of Jesus. Now, if you look at verse 17, he actually explains what happened in that moment. It says, the Father and the Son share in the majestic glory. In other words, Peter's saying that we got a foretaste of what is to come. And let me tell you, everyone, it is glorious. You want to stick around and experience this. Now, in just a few weeks, we'll be celebrating my favorite holiday, Thanksgiving. I love to eat. I love the food of Thanksgiving. I love it so much that I do all the cooking for Thanksgiving. And so if you're like me and you do the cooking in your house, after hours of prepping and cooking, you want a sample Right? You want, to, you want to taste. You're like, look at a honey-baked ham. Like, I just want to try a little bit, a little crispy egg, and then really soft in the middle. That, that smoked turkey, that pumpkin cheesecake that you made, that strawberry pretzel salad. If you're at my house, if you don't know what I'm talking about, ask me because you'll love it. You want a sample of it because you know it's going to be so good. You can't wait to feast on the full meal that's to come. You get a foretaste of what is to come and what everyone else is going to experience when, when the full meal arrives. Peter says this event, this transfiguration was just a foretaste, but I can't wait for you to experience the full glory of that day. And so Peter wants us to remember that Jesus is coming again. It's not just as an entry into Christian, the Christian life, but it's a motivation for our holiness. He's pointing back to those, those virtues, those characteristics, saying you should live this way, you should want to live this way, because Christ is coming again. And you want, you want to show that Christ has changed you. You want to live in holiness. 
should be your motivation for holiness. And he wants us to be confident that Christ will come again in power and glory. And so the question is, are you ready? Are you making every effort? Are you making sure those around you are ready? Right? You want everyone to experience that, right? When I'm cooking that Thanksgiving meal, I'm like, everyone get ready, get to the table, come hungry, fast in the morning. Like, we're, there's going to be a feast. And I know it's going to be better than the cold cereal you're going to eat in the morning. Like, come ready, come prepared. So are you ready? And the second thing is he reminds us about Christ's return based on the Holy Scriptures. Verses 19 through 21. And he says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to what you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the prophetic word that he is specifically referring to is the Old Testament Scriptures. But what he says actually implies to the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because once again, he's actively writing part of the New Testament. They didn't have it at that time. So we've got the full thing. And his whole point in these last three verses is pay attention Pay attention to the reliability of Scripture. He says the prophetic word is more fully confirmed because we have seen the fulfillment of events like the transfiguration of Christ. And so as a result, we have every reason to trust the truthfulness and reliability of Scripture. Because certain things that were foretold would happen have already happened. The crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, those things have already taken place. And so if there were kind of the big ones you were going to pick out, like, i got to see some of these things actually happening to believe it, like, those would be the big ones. They've already taken place. And so Peter wants us to pay attention to this word. He wants us to submit to this word in light of Christ's guaranteed return. And so he says the scriptures for us are like a light shining, pointing us to Jesus, the morning star. Now I want us to stop and kind of pause and reflect real briefly on the morning star. Verse 19, second half, says, You will do well to pay attention as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We will experience some really dark days in this life, are we not? And this, the, the dark days remind us how much we actually need light. And he tells us we've been given the light in the morning star. Who's the morning star? Who's the morning star? Jesus. 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 And in the midst of a life filled with so much sorrow, pain, and death, we are the ones who are able to remain steadfast because of the light that we have in Jesus. Jesus, if we forget, who came into a dark world. Jesus, who took on that darkness himself. Jesus, who died in the place of sinners like you and me so that we might find the light of salvation in him. Jesus, the light, the morning star. We're actually told in Revelation 21, 23. This is pretty cool. Listen to this. It says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Did you catch that? It's saying the glorious radiance of Jesus, the morning star, is so bright that the city will have no need for sun or moon to shine on it. Now, we are about to enter time change. It's the one thing I hate about fall and the winters. We enter time change. It's going to be really dark in our cities. It's going to be cloudy. At 4.30, it's going to be dark. I'm making you depressed already. So can you imagine? This is saying the city won't even need the moon or the sun because, Jesus, like Jesus, we need you to show up in our city because it's about to be dark. 
physically dark, but it's already sinful light. We need you to show up because we want the light to be here. So one day we're going to have a need for the sun and moon because Jesus will be so bright. And we get a glimpse and a reminder of that morning star every single day when the sun rises. I've had a, the, uh, the privilege, I'll say it that way, of driving my oldest son to school every morning, most mornings, and we drive east. Well, here recently it's been really nice, right? We just got the rainy weather this weekend. And so as we're driving, and as the sun's rising later, we actually get to see the sun rising. And so we get a glimpse of what this looks like. We get a picture of the brightness of, of, of you know, imagine when Jesus went down to the grave, right? And then, then he rose up out, and the, and the light came out. It's like literally this picture that I'm seeing in front of me as I'm, as I'm driving, as we get to see this light shining again, as the darkness gives way to the light, as the light comes up and is shining so that was reminded of that this week, even of this, of this passage. And what a picture that is. A glimpse of what we get to see. Verse 20 says, No prophecy comes from one's understanding. Peter's corrected in Italian that the prophets were just doing guesswork. That's what the false teachers of prophets were saying. They actually weren't denying that they had a real encounter with God. What they were saying is, you're kind of doing guesswork. You're just kind of patching it together on what God was actually saying. And Peter's saying, no, they had real encounters with God, and they were given a right understanding of the events themselves. These historical events that happened that, that roots our faith in history. The apostles were raised up, who then recorded and interpreted those events, and the final product is the Bible, which gives us the light in the dark world. So if you're wondering, how do I walk through the darkness that I'm walking through right now, Matt? Yes, ultimately following Jesus, allowing the Spirit, but opening the light... If I'm kind of really dark, I know you've got something in here for me. Most Bibles have it in corners to help you look at things. Get a study Bible. The point is that we have the light to get through the dark of days. And finally, verse 21, and we'll be done. No prophet just woke up one day and thought, I'll, think I'll be a prophet and write some Bible today. Like none of, none of them did that. It didn't originate with them. The prophet's words come from God, the inspiration of Scripture. So they were inspired, breathed out by God, and it says they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Today we get through life as Christians in the same way. We're carried along by the Holy Spirit, leading us, guiding us. The language used here, um, it's actually I think from Acts 27, it describes the prophets as raising their sails, imagine a sailboat, and the Holy Spirit filling them and blowing their sails in the direction of him wanting to so that's what we are to do with our lives. We've, we've been given the light. We follow Christ. Light our path. Spirit, guide us. Lead us. Carry us along. Where is it that we are to go? And so final thoughts. This is a call to remember. If you've read the Bible, there's one big story that's actually telling. It's kind of <clears throat> overarching thing. Some call it the meta-narrative. But it tells the same story over and over again from Genesis to Revelation. That's why, really, in every passage, I know sometimes you might look at some of the Old Testament and go, how am I going to do that? But as a whole, every passage, every portion, every story, every character is pointing to Jesus. And so it's saying the same thing over and over again, and it's giving testimony to the gospel and God's redemption in his creation. That's what the whole thing is doing. And God knows that we need this continual reminder of the gospel truth as we are pilgrims, or as I say, sojourners, journeying through this dark world. 
And we cannot reach our final destination apart from his word showing us how to return home. So not only are we given Christ, right? His life, his death, his resurrection. He's our Savior, right? In us, that is enough. But then God goes above and beyond us. Like, I'm going to give you this holy word. It's like a flashlight, right? We're going through a dark world. Once again, we probably all go camping. We live in the Pacific Northwest. When you're camping, it's dark, right? You're up in the mountains, it's dark early. If you're super going, you're going to have to get a lantern or a flashlight so you can see. And it can, it can illuminate the path around you. God's given us his word to light the path in front of us. And so what Peter wants to do this, this morning is to remember that. Remember the book we've been given. To remember that Christ will return. So we have this call to remember. So I'm going to pray for us this morning, and we're going to respond in a couple of different ways. I'll, I'll lead us in that. God, we thank you for your word. It's living. It's true. God, we people come into our midst, people come into our city who question this authority. They want to attack on Jesus as a as a guru, as some kind of special teacher, but yet deny some of the claims. God, we want to live by your word. God, I want to, I want to remind us at Sojourn that this is our, this is our land, it's our guiding truth. God, we do want to be reminded that you are coming back. It's so on our worst days that we can, we can remember that it will get better. Maybe not in the immediacy, maybe not in the immediate future, maybe not in 2023, but God, it will get better because one day you will return and you will remove all suffering, all pain. God, I pray that Sojourn Church, that the people of Sojourn Church, that we would remain grounded in your truth. God, that we would pursue godliness above all else. God, that we wouldn't drift in our theology, that we wouldn't drift in our relationship with you. God, as individuals, when we do that, that, God, we would receive the love and mercy and grace of you, but also our brothers and sisters who are helping us be centered back on the gospel. God, we love you. We thank you for you. And we thank you for your love. It's in your name we pray. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.